Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 300th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Oh, way to worthy! Worthy five! The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout. They're out foul. of timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. Front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champions. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back with you guys once again today for the 300th time. My, oh my. Time has flown by. It feels like yesterday that we rebranded the show after the retirement of Roy Williams. Um, And the fact that we've done 300 episodes in just a little under two and a half years is kind of mind-blowing. It's been a lot of fun, been a lot of ups and downs covering uh, a national championship run, something that as a podcast we've never done last year covering a missed NCAA tournament, which we also have never done because the COVID pandemic, uh, you know, canceled the tournament the year that Carolina would have missed it. So it's been a lot of fun. Can't wait to see what the next 300 episodes have in store for us. Hopefully a lot of winning, um, a lot less yelling and uh, a lot more being able to make fun of our rivals, Duke and NC State. Yeah, I mean, I would assume that the last part, um, primarily the final team that you mentioned there will continue. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been, it, it, you're right. It really does seem like it was just yesterday that we rebranded the podcast. And I mean, if you go back to the Roy's Boys podcast and combine the two, I mean, it has been um, an unbelievable ride. And, you know, we've seen it grow. That's the other thing, too, is that the Four Corners podcast, it's been bounced around to a couple of different hosting sites and everything like that. And yet everybody's kind of stuck with us through all of that. So, 
Uh, it's It's been amazing, and the fact that we're at 300 is tremendous, but we wouldn't be able to do it without the uh, loyal listeners that have been here uh, you know, since the beginning and, and the new ones that have jumped on board with us along the way. And, uh, yeah, I'm just like you. I think it's it's going to be, uh, you know, a lot more success here moving forward, hopefully, than what we saw in the last few years. I think I'm feeling pretty confident, and you know that. I'm a, a Huber guy. I, I think that a lot of people have been too hard on him. So I expect that we'll see – uh, more wins and, and be talking about some very important tournament games uh, along the way. But regardless, uh, just happy that we're here giving you uh, the you guys uh, everything you need each and every basketball season. Yeah, no, you you mentioned the fan, the, the, the the listeners and support. Um, yeah, I mean, we're we're we, we're going to close the 2023 year as this recording is on New Year's Eve. With 50,000 downloads, um, by far the most we've ever done in our five-plus years as a podcast. Um, it's very humbling to see the growth um, of it. Um, and you guys make it worth the reasons why we stay up and record sometimes at 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning after an ACC tournament, an NCAA tournament type of game, and the way that, you know, you're the reason why we grind the way that we do. Um, and to see it continue to grow has been a lot of fun. Um, you know, you notice that we moved the Heel Tough Blog podcast to video. The Four Corners podcast will be weekends, uh, will be video podcasts as well. And we're excited about that. Um, and it's, it's just been a lot of fun as we've been able to build our own little community as the podcast with our website. Um, it's been a lot of fun. And as I mentioned, it's very humbling. Um, you know, whenever you, you put as much into something as we do, um, I consider this my life's work, um, walk, you know, watching and talking about Carolina basketball to see it be received in the way that it's been received, you know, from the beginning all the way to where it is now has been a lot of fun, and you know we can't wait to see what the future has in store. While we're here today um, to talk about, we're going to recap the non-conference season, kind of just reset everything before we get to ACC play. Um, but before we do that, we start every edition as we do. Pod thought of the day. We go to Harry Truman for today's uh, thought. And his thought is, quote, leadership is the ability to get people to do what they don't want to do and like doing it. Um, you know, I, I, I had the volume up the other night during the Charleston Southern game um, at different points just because not the biggest fan of Mike Monaco, the play-by-play guy, or Randolph Childress, the game analyst. But, you know, they, they mentioned during the broadcast – that Armando Bacon has given this team over to R.J. Davis and has told him that this is this is his team. And you, you, you can now really see that reflected on the court. As a guy that his first couple years led more by example as opposed by with his, you know, vocally, um, that's changed this year. Yes, he's still leading by example, but who's the one guy as much as anybody on the court since the season started that's been barking, that's been holding people accountable? And 
that's what you love about four-year college basketball players. You get to see them grow and develop as players and also as leaders. And, you know, we talked about in the in, when we recap the, the Charleston Southern game, this as good a play we've seen from the point guard position, maybe since Kobe White, Joel Berry, Marcus Page. It's also the best leadership Carolina has gotten from that position. And when you look historically at this program and the regular season success and the postseason success, a lot of it is tied in with having a vocal leader at the point guard spot, and Carolina has that in the form of R.J. Davis. Yeah, I mean, he's he's gotten his opportunity to play the position that he should have been playing the entire time, which is primary ball handler whenever he's on the floor. And it's resulted in what we thought we would see from him uh, because of what we saw at the end of last year. Um, I, I said it multiple times when we were talking about the team coming down the stretch last year and a couple of times early on in the season this year. If he doesn't hurt his finger in – the, the middle of conference play last season, Carolina makes the tournament because this was what this was already sort of what we were seeing from him. It wasn't exactly the same um, level of play, but especially the play that you're seeing from him late in games, we were seeing that last year. And so I think now, you know, this is a this is a guy that as you said, you know, I, I, Armando Baycott has basically handed the team over to him. I got to be honest, I don't really think he had much of a choice. I think R.J. Davis has kind of just taken over that role. And you know that if you need a bucket, R.J. Davis is the guy to get it. And you said, I mean, look, there's a little more emotion to him this year. I think, again, you, last year, even during the regular season in 2021, a lot of the guys, I mean, they just kind of seemed like they were going through the motions at times. Um, R.J. Davis was a guy that led by example with the way that he played, but he wasn't a guy that was incredibly vocal like he has been this year. And so th- this was, you know, ultimately sort of what I thought would happen. And and he's progressed ex- exactly like we saw the Roy Williams guards progress. Like if you go back and compare the way that he progressed in his career to the way that Joel Berry progressed, Marcus Page progressed, it's going to look almost identical. And so I think for a lot of people, they're wondering, you know, you look at the end of the careers of both Joel Berry and Marcus Page, look at how good Carolina was during those times. So I feel like a lot of people, you know, not only are feeling good about R.J. Davis and the way that he's playing because they just love the player. But at the same time, they realize that uh, when you have a guard that's playing the way that R.J. Davis is playing, leading the way for you, odds are, based on the history of the program, that's going to lead to some pretty good success in March. Yep, and and I think Carolina coming out of the non-conference season um, is, is in a good position to not only return to the tournament, but make noise. Um, and with that, let's take a look at the 2023 non-conference uh, portion of the year. It is completed. Um, the next time we see Carolina play, it'll be an ACC competition. And every game will be until the NCAA tournament. Um, the Heels were 8-3 and three in the non-conference. Um, they were 3-2 and two against ranked opponents with wins against Arkansas, Tennessee, and Oklahoma. And losses against UConn and Kentucky. 
Um, as of recording, they have moved up to number 14 in Kenpom, and their net is number 20 in the country. Um, both really, really solid numbers, both metrics that uh, would lead you to believe that this team would you know, be highly seeded come tournament time um, and, and be a team that you would be comfortable putting in the second weekend or deeper in that tournament uh, field. So um, when you look at it, from a non-conference standpoint, and we, we knew how tough the schedule was. I mean, back in the summer, you and I both talked about this was as tough a schedule we've ever seen. And that lived up to the truth because Carolina played a stretch of five ranked games and six games. First time that's ever happened in the history of the program in the poll era, which dates back to 1948-1949. So with that, did the team either meet, exceed, or underachieve expectations that you had for them in their 11 non-conference games? So if you just go by the results, I would probably say they met expectations. Um, I... I was confident that they could make it to the final in the battle for Atlantis. But, you know, Villanova, I, I personally thought Villanova would get beat in their first round game, and they did not. Um, did not really see Michigan being as bad as they actually are. Um, so, you know, once Villanova advanced, you mentioned it a couple of times when looking back on that game, that's their tournament. And you saw that ultimately with what happened in the final. So, I mean, that one really isn't all that shocking. It's not a bad loss either. Um, UConn was expected. If anybody came into the year expecting them to win that game, I I just – your expectations are way too high. Um, It's just, you know, UConn, I I still think they are probably, if I had to say today, they are probably still the favorites to win the national championship. I know they lost to Seton Hall – recently um, to open conference play. But at the same time, I mean, they're still a team that is just as deep as anybody in the country when they are fully healthy. Um, And Kentucky, you know, that's the one that's probably the most frustrating because it really felt like Carolina had opportunities in that game. Late down the stretch, you thought that Carolina's veteran leadership would show through against a very young Kentucky team. But at the same time, let's not act like Kentucky isn't an extremely talented team. It feels like John Calipari is going to have that team. Maybe not back to the Final Four. I don't know if that team is that good. But that's definitely a very solid second weekend of the tournament team. Probably one that I would say at this point would be an Elite Eight squad. So, I mean, yeah, results-wise, I think you probably met expectations. But in terms of just watching this team, and judging them based off of the eye test, as we've heard, you know, before we've heard that with with the bubble, we've heard that uh, in, in college football with the playoff and everything. I think they've overachieved. I, I really do because I think that a lot of people, especially with some of the games early in the year, people thought it would take time for this group to mesh, and it really didn't. And now, look, there are guys that are not playing as well as they probably should be at this point, mainly Cormac Ryan, Jalen Withers. Those are guys that you would have expected 
with how, with how many years of experience they have to be playing some really good basketball right now. Cormac Ryan, I mean, it's not that he's playing bad. There's just inconsistencies in his game. He hasn't really found a shot just yet. And yeah, in the injury, the ankle injury that he suffered in the Bahamas definitely contributes to that. But at the same time, I think that's a guy that hopefully as they get into conference play, it starts to click. And Jalen Withers, I mean, that's one where it just feels like maybe that one is a miss. Pax and Wojcik, I guess you have to throw in there as well. Just guys that have not been able to really do much offensively at all. Um, defensively, they've had some moments, but um, still it, it, it's – similar to what we talked about that that we were hoping you wouldn't see nearly as much of with Leaky Black gone, uh, which is guys that are, you know, really good defenders. Now, Leaky Black was an elite defender, um, but just can't bring you anything on the offensive end of the floor. So I, I think you look at the rest of the team, though. Elliot Cadeau has been very, very solid as a true freshman. Um, the fact that he was forced into the lineup as early as he was to start um, because of the way that Paxson Wojcik was playing uh, and, and the eventual injury of Cormac Ryan, he's been fantastic, I think, at handling that and, you know, has, has continued to do what we thought he would do um, after he took over the starting role, which is share the basketball. Um, and, I mean, you look at the rest, the rest of the guys, I mean, yeah, rebounding-wise, you'd like to see them be a little bit better. But, I mean, when you got R.J. Davis playing the way that he's playing, Harrison Ingram playing the way that he's playing, I think you have to feel like this team probably overachieved just a little bit based on the way they look heading into conference play. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they overachieved from a results uh, basis. Um when you look at how much they struggled last year against ranked competition – to be three and two in five ranked games with a completely, you know, new nucleus. You got the core back of Davis and Armando, but like, you know, everyone else was new pretty much that you were counting on to be big time contributors. Um, and then, you know, what you talked about, I thought I picked Carolina to make the final four, picked them, I believe, I know to finish top three in the league. I think I'm, if I remember correctly, I think I picked them to win the league. But that was in league play. Like, that was with me giving it time for it to come together. This team from day one has looked the part. They've been together. They've, they've got the chemistry. Um, you know, the, the loss to Villanova was, you know, a guy got hot and you couldn't figure out a way to stop him. You got overwhelmed by UConn, who's as good as anybody in the country. And then the Kentucky game, you were there despite getting out-rebounded by 10 and committing a bunch of turnovers. So, you know, there hasn't been, an, a, you know, an egregious loss or a blowout loss like we've seen the first two years in the non-conference season. And, and you know, as we've talked about, really all, pre, or all, all non-conference season long, this is as much belief as we've had in the team going into league play under Hubert Davis. Um, and, and I think that matters. Because they got three straight road ACC games, and at least we'll, we'll be confident that we could go maybe two and one in that stretch, which would be more than um, more, more than respectable. So, uh, moving on, you know, one of the things we talked about all summer was, man, Carolina's got to get deeper. 
Like you just you can't go through a thirty five game season with seven guys. You can't do it. Um, Hubert Davis says he likes the depth um, and he likes how deep they are. Are you fully on board with the way that the rotation is? Do you think he's built enough adequate depth in in the non-conference season, or do you still think there's there was still room to grow for him to maybe build a rotation that was maybe eight or nine deep as opposed to seven or eight? Uh, I mean, no. I, I got to be honest. I think they probably can go eight or nine deep at this point if they need to. Um, the thing that I just really don't understand when people bring this up and they still question the depth is when do you want these guys to play? You want your best players to be out there. I'm not going to say as often as possible because you do want to rest them at some point to, in order for them to be fresh towards the end of the season. But at the same time, like you want your starters to be playing at least in my mind, 28 minutes or more in, unless they get into foul trouble. Um, now, again, it depends on certain games. Look, if you're playing it like the game the other night against Charleston Southern, it's a blowout. Clearly, I don't want to see the starters in there all that much. But I, I really think that if you look at the, the guys that you can really trust off the bench for Carolina, I think – you know you can trust Seth Trimble at this point. Um, he he looked great the other night against Charleston Southern, and this is really just a perfect finish to conference season to show exactly what we've seen from him really all year, which is that he is growing on the offensive end of the floor, which is ultimately the biggest question mark that we had about him coming into the season. He's more aggressive. He's getting to the basket. He's found his shot and it's working from both mid-range and the outside, and he's still the team's best defender. Uh, the other guy that I think at this point you can really trust and we'll probably start seeing him a little bit more because of what we saw in this past game against Charleston Southern is Jalen Washington. Uh, it's taken him a little bit of time since he got there, but of course he had the knee injury that he was rehabbing last year. This is a guy now, though, that you can trust to play for Armando Baycott if Armando Baycott gets into foul trouble, if he's just having that off of a night and you want to get him off the floor. Whatever the circumstance is, Jalen Washington is ready. And now we saw it against uh, on Friday. This is a guy that can play with Armando Baycott on the floor because he can stretch the floor. He gives you – um, that ability to, you know, he, he's not the greatest perimeter defender, but he's still a guy that has enough athleticism to have success out there. Um, I, I think it's something that you have to look at, and you're not going to play that lineup very often, but I, I think it's, you know, one that if, if you put him out there, he continues to thrive, he holds his own defensively, and can help you in the rebounding department as well then you have to do it for Carolina. So those are the two guys that you know are a part of your rotation moving forward. Jalen Withers is one I think everybody thought would be. But here's the thing. I, I think, you know, you have to kind of feel it out a little bit. I would be shocked, though, with what we've seen from him 
at, at different times if he is completely taken out of the rotation. Um, I do think that you know his ability to basically switch anything because he can guard uh, just about anywhere from the four um, to the one. I mean, it's certainly not the thing you want the most, but that's the thing that Carolina is looking for with how often they switch. I think he's a guy that you're looking at to do that. You just hope he can find his – rhythm on the offensive end of the floor and stop fouling so much when he is playing on the defensive end of the floor. And then uh, Paxson Wojcik, I've seen some things better defensively from him, but you're hoping that eventually the shot starts to fall for him. Uh, I've given up pretty much on the rebounding. I just don't think that's there. I think he was a good Ivy League rebounder. I don't think that he's a guy that's going to be able to rebound at a high level uh, in the ACC. But I think you look at those nine guys right there and you probably feel pretty good about that group. I think, you know, ultimately if Wojcik keeps struggling, they'll shrink it down to eight. But to me, even if you have eight, I mean, we're talking about two years removed from making a national title game run where you had six guys and the majority of the time in the tournament, you, you played five guys. So I, I I couldn't be happier with where this team is at rotation wise, because if it does get too deep, then it really you know doesn't allow some of the guys that are on the bench to get into a rhythm like we've seen with guys like Trimble and Washington. Here's the thing. You did this non-conference season, what you couldn't even do last year. When we everyone thought that you know Puff Johnson and Don Tres Styles were your two guys off the bench, like you you found two guys that you know game in game out you're going to play and they're going to make a difference. Trimble, Jalen Washington, you didn't do that year one. That made sense because Schubert was trying to figure out who to match with who. Remember Dawson Garcia got hurt, then he you know was away. So like. It made sense why year one the rotation was so jumbled. Last year didn't make any sense, you know, to us at the time, why Puff Johnson, Styles, the two guys that played the most off the bench in the tournament run weren't getting minutes. Uh, but that's different this year. And you've got Withers who I, I think when it's all said and done, we'll look back at him as a plus player. He's an enigma, and he can be very erratic, and he can make you want to scratch your head because he's going to commit a stupid foul, you know, commit a bad turnover, take a dumb shot or whatever. But whenever he plays to his strengths and his capabilities, he's a really good plus player. Like he defends at a high level um, and, 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 and can do some things for you. So I, I hate that. Wojcik hasn't been the guy that I thought he was going to be. Um, that was the guy I, I man-crushed on all summer. You know, thought when he started that, you know, this could be a really good a really good player. Um, he's had Didn't you say he was going to average double figures, by the way? That was, you know, that may or may not have happened. He's having the Justin Pierce, Christian Keeling, uh, you know, transition from – mid-major college basketball to ACC basketball. Um, you like him because he plays hard. And you know when he's on the court, he's going to play his hardest 
because it means a lot to him to wear the jersey. With that being said, he should probably play no more than six to eight minutes as we get into ACC season. Last thing I want to discuss before we give out some uh, non-conference season awards, um, reference this a minute ago, but um, you know we both picked this team to finish top three in the league, and we both picked them to make a run to the Final Four. Did the non-conference season make you more or less confident in that prediction? Oh, more confident. There's no doubt about that. When when we made those predictions, and by those are those are bold predictions. Um, where I mean, look, do we do we a hundred percent believe some of the stuff? Pro, I mean, I, yes, I had kind of bought in that this team could make a Final Four run, um, but at the same time, that was one where it's like, okay. If I if, if if I'm being real with myself and sitting down and, and and laying it out, I'm probably picking this team to make the Elite Eight and and potentially get beat. Um, I mean, to me, this this team looks like it's one that is certainly capable of, of making the Final Four um, because it uh, you you've talked about it before. Um, you may have even mentioned it earlier in in the podcast. Um, it, it's it's all about guard play, man. When you get to March, if you have an elite guard the way that R.J. Davis is playing, it's hard to knock you out of the tournament. Look at some of the teams like you, – you look at Purdue. One of the reasons they haven't been able to make a run to a Final Four is simply because their guard play just has not been good enough at times. So even with an elite big man – if you don't have the guard play, it's not going to work. This time around, believe it or not, Carolina when they when they made the run to the Final Four, um, in in twenty two, it was really based on their big men play from both Armando Baycott and Brady Manning. And I don't think the guard play was ultimately what did them in. I think their their lack of depth was ultimately what did them in. But this time around, it's going to be a guard-led team with Armando Baycott still there. So I feel pretty confident that this team has uh, the guard play to get there, the depth to get there, and I think they have the veteran leadership to get there too. So, I mean, if you have those three things, it's hard to feel like Carolina isn't one of those teams that could get there. And the other thing is, is look around the rest of the country. Um, I mentioned that Purdue team. I got to see it to believe it with Purdue before I can get on that level. Um, you know, one of the teams we were talking about just before this, you know, Illinois, a team that's playing really, really well. That's another team that I would have to see it to believe it with them anyways, but they just lost their best player, um, due to a criminal charge off the court. So, uh, it's, you're, you're seeing some of these other teams, but I think, you know, Carolina, of course, Kansas will be a very tough one. Connecticut, um, Arizona is an, is another one to keep a serious eye on. But again, the thing with them is they've done it plenty of times in the regular season, and they fall short of making it to the Final Four. So, I mean, when you look around, there's a lot of teams that are good at this point of the season, but there also are a lot of teams that are towards the top of the country that have had good regular seasons and haven't made it there before. And I feel like Carolina's playing – close to the same level as some of these teams right now and are only going to get better. So 
I think the outlook is fantastic for Carolina. Yeah, I'm I'm more confident in them finishing top three in the league than I was when the season started. Um, of course, we all saw Maryland get blasted – or not Maryland. We all saw Virginia get blasted by Notre Dame over the weekend, um, and that's not a vintage, you know, lead eight Notre Dame type of team. Um, you know, I, I, I think Duke is as vulnerable as they've ever been with all the expectations in the preseason. Um, Miami, I think, by the time it's all said and done, is going to be a quality team. They're not as good as I thought they were going to be, maybe when the season tipped off. Mm-hmm. But I'm less confident this team can make a Final Four simply because I didn't foresee the rebounding issues and the defensive issues at times being uh, as highlighted as they've been. And, and, and mainly the rebounding because in my lifetime, I've never seen a bad UNC rebounding team. Um, and, and and this team could change that narrative. You never know. Maybe with more Jalen Washington or Mondo Baycott lineups, they, they 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 return to the form of what I've seen. But you know, I watched them play three games against ranked opponents and get out rebounded one twenty six to ninety nine in those three games combined. Like that doesn't translate to a Final Four run. So. Um, the fact that Carolina was able to overcome those rebounding issues and still be eight and three and three and two in ranked games tells you just how good they are, um, and they, they they can make up for it in other ways. But you know, in a one game sample size, you get out rebounded by ten. That's the difference in a ball game. We saw it firsthand with Kentucky. Like if if Carolina's even on the boards in that game, they probably win the game. Um, and, and so that's where I am is I'm, I'm very confident that they're going to be a top three team in the ACC, uh, get, you know, of course, top four, get the double buy in the tournament. I don't know if they're going to be a final four team, but as the tournament is every year, it's always about matchups. And if Carolina gets a draw that, you know, they don't got to face a team that's kind of big, like Zach Eady at Purdue or, you know, Omar Ballo at, at, at Arizona, you know, then maybe it's easier to, to write Carolina in the second weekend or, or to the the final four. So um, the good news is, is they've got 19 games to change my opinion. Um, and let's hope that they do so. Now let's uh, hand out some awards uh, with the non-conference season coming to an end. Um, it is the college basketball's uh, unofficial midway point of the year. Um, and the first award that we're going to hand out here is the MVP. And this one, this one's pretty easy for me. I imagine it'll be pretty easy for you. I went with RJ Davis and how would you not, or how could you not with everything he has done um, for Carolina, leading them in scoring at over 21 points per game, just came off a 21 or a 20-point performance, 10 assists, five steals, zero turnover performance. Um, the first time that's ever been done in the history of Carolina basketball. 
Um, he's shooting 44% from the field, 39% from three, 95% from the foul line. He scored 20 points or more in eight straight games, the longest such streak since Tyler Hansborough did so uh, during his National Player of the Year season. Um, you know, Hubert Davis has gone on record all three years as the head coach saying he's the heartbeat. We go as RJ goes. Um, that's never been more true, more true than this season. And right now, he's been Carolina's MVP. He'd be the ACC Player of the Year and an All-American. So uh, my non-conference season MVP is RJ Davis. Yeah, I mean, this is probably the easiest one that we've given out since, you know, in – I mean, I don't even know how long because usually there is a second person that's relatively close. Um, it is so clear that R.J. Davis is the best player on this team. Um, we've said it, and I, I, I stick to this thought. If, if Zach Eady was in the NBA right now, uh, R.J. Davis would be the hands-down favorite to win player of the year. And look, I mean, Eady is having a great season. If R.J. continues to play this way – He's going to have a case, but ultimately he'll probably fall short. Uh, I, I just, to me, like he is. I mean, the the how he goes is the way Carolina goes. I mean, it could not be truer. You look at the elite level that he's playing at right now, and it's no coincidence that Carolina is playing their best basketball since Kobe White was on campus. So, yeah, this one, this one's simple. I mean, who would even be the number two here? Probably Harrison Ingram, I guess. But, I mean, how close is he actually to competing for this award? I mean, it, it's it's just amazing the elite level that R.J. Davis is playing at at this point. The next award I wanted to give out was the most improved player. Um, and this is maybe where it gets tricky, gets dicey. Maybe we disagree. I went with Seth Trimble just because, I mean, he's a night and day different player offensively. You could argue – R.J. Davis could very much qualify for this award because he's gotten so much better in other areas of the game. But I look at Seth Trimble, the guy coming off the bench that, you know, has proven that he can hit big-time threes. His drive-to-the-basket game is as good as anybody on the roster. His dribble-drive game and hitting a pop-up mid-range jump shot, like R.J. Davis, is a strong suit. And then – you look at him defensively, I mean, he's Carolina's best perimeter defender, despite not being a starter. Um, and, you know, Hubert Davis said back in the summer, he thought he could be the best perimeter defender in the country. And I don't see where there's any false, you know, any false statements in that belief. And, um, you know, as a, as a guy that was tasked with carving out a role on the bench, helping this team become deeper than what we've seen the first two years under Hubert Davis, that doesn't happen if you don't see growth. And we saw that growth. We've seen that growth from Seth Treble. Yeah, I mean, look, there's three guys that you could probably consider here. I mean, RJ is, is one of them. But, I mean, at the same time, I mean, I thought at the end of last year, he was Carolina's best player. And... I, I think for that reason, you can't have him as the most improved player. Jalen Washington has to be a part of the conversation here. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, I, I thought 
that was the perfect finish to con to non-conference play for him and leads him into conference play. I mean, you've seen he's a guy that's uh, you know, his, his frame is still an area where he has to develop, but I think overall his game has certainly gotten better, especially on the defensive end of the floor. Um, I think he, he he competes on that end of the floor uh, as well as anybody. And I think more than anything, uh, his touch inside has been fantastic. Um, Shooting-wise, we knew he was a guy that was always able to stretch the floor, but to see him sort of develop that, you know, six to eight foot turnaround shot um, and to see him, you know, be able to finish through contact is very, very encouraging. But the answer is, as you said, Seth Trimble, because this is Carolina's best bench player. It's a guy that, you know, coming into the season, we didn't really know what he was offensively. Um, We didn't know if, if the things that we saw from him in high school were going to translate to this level. But you've seen exactly what we thought we would see. And I said it when we talked about him on the last edition of the podcast. This is the guy that really, when Carolina gets out and starts running, Elliot Cadeau is a big part of that, especially for the starting lineup. You saw again in the game against Charleston Southern that Seth Trimble is one of those guys, when he gets the ball, he wants to run. That was the strength of him uh, coming into Carolina, and he's carried that over now into this season. Love the way he gets to the basket, very aggressive. He's developed his mid-range and three-point jump shot. I I think this is a guy that right now uh, has developed into a complete player. And, I mean, look. You know, the way that Elliot Cadeau was struggling at times on the offensive end, there were people that were having the conversation about having him start. I don't know if people are still rolling with that. It seems like that talk has quieted down a little bit uh, now that Carolina has won two in a row again. But I, I do think that the way that he's playing is exactly what this bench needs, and there's no way I could go with either of the other two guys, even though they have showed market improvement this season. Yeah, uh, you know, there there were there was some discussion there, but like you, I landed with with Seth Trimble. There's a good chance we might go four for four on giving out the exact same uh, giving the exact same player the the awards that were given out today. Uh, the next one up is the best transfer uh, from the non conference portion of the season. And I went with Harrison Ingram. He's averaging nearly 14 points per game, over six rebounds, two and a half assists, all while shooting 48% from the field, 45% from three. This was the transfer that back in the offseason we coveted the most and we talked about the most uh, and really put a lot of pressure on this staff to land him if they wanted to turn things around. And I reference this all the time. Like, you know how important he was to Hubert Davis when they took the entire staff to Dallas, Texas, to make sure he committed to Carolina over Kansas, because um, that—that's who he was choosing between. Um, and luckily for us, he ended up in in Carolina, and he's been a big time player, um, and he's. You know, played big in big moments, in big games. Um, he's helped elevate this offense to a new level because he's opened up floor spacing for 
R.J. Davis, Cormac Ryan, Ellie Cadeau to drive the ball. Um, it's made it harder for teams to double-team Armando Bacot. Um, and simply put, as much as any transfer we've brought in during the portal era, era, he's lived up to the height. Because if you go back to the first year, Dawson Garcia was the most coveted transfer, former five-star prospect, a guy that gave Carolina a double-double in their own building in a game against Marquette, you know, that Carolina played during that during that season. But it was Brady Manick who ended up having the most impact. Last year, Pete Nance never really fit in at Carolina. This year, it's Harrison Ingram, and he's more than lived up to the hype and is a big reason why we still believe this team can finish a, a, a very high in the league and make a deep tournament run. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I would say that Brady Manick probably exceeded the expectations. Uh, I, I mean, maybe even a little bit more than Harrison Ingram, um, just because, I mean, we thought he would be a pretty solid player for Carolina. I don't think we knew that he, at times, would be the most valuable player that Carolina had on that tournament team, on that uh, team that made the run to the national championship game. But – I mean, yeah, it's uh, – to me, I mean, it came down to him and Wojcik. Uh, no, nah, I'm just kidding. Um, it's it's so obvious. Like Cormac Ryan, I think, could could have made a case here if he was shooting the ball a little bit better. But it, it's just the shot hasn't fallen for him. You know, Jalen Withers, I mean, we've talked about the inconsistencies that he's had. Wojcik's, you know, starting to lose his playing time. And Aconquo is in the role that we thought he was going to be in. Harrison Ingram is a guy that at one point during this season, you had an ESPN studio analyst say that he should be the guy that Carolina runs their offense through, even with R.J. Davis on the floor. And we had a conversation about it and, and, and basically said it's not the craziest thing. That's the way that Harrison Ingram is playing. And, again, we knew vers- the versatility was going to be there. Um, defensively, I think he's been solid. I think there are times where teams have taken advantage of him. But you, the thing that you notice with him is that areas where teams take advantage of him in certain matchups, he responds and corrects that. And sometimes, in the case of the back-to-the-basket game that Villanova used against him, includes that in part of his game moving forward. And that's the thing that we've seen from him. I just think, you know, the 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 different type of player that he can be for Carolina game to game is really just amazing. You see a guy that can stretch the floor, he can basically turn into a guard, including the way that he shares the basketball if Carolina needs him to do that. But there were times early in the season where this guy basically turned into – uh, a, a traditional form of a power forward, back it, back players down in the post and rebound at a high level. So, yeah, there's no question that he is the guy that Carolina looks at and says they hit on 100% in this cycle. I would say they probably still think that they hit on Cormac Ryan. The other guys, it's still up in the air. But Harrison Ingram, I mean, this this was – an outstanding find by this staff. And it's one of those guys that when you look back and people question as they did 
at the time that you made the decision and will continue to do why this team chose to sit out the NIT, this will be the one guy that you can point to and say that's the reason why, especially if the team makes a deep tournament run. Yeah, I mean, I'm very confident in saying that they they hit on Cormac Ryan mainly because of the leadership that he brings to the team. That great point. And the accountability he brings to that locker room. And I do think like we talked about this after it was either the the Kentucky game or the Oklahoma game. He shoots too pretty of a ball to shoot 29% from three all year long. Like he's too good of a shooter. And, and so at some point you're going to – it might only get to 34 35% because of the slow start, but he's going to start knocking down shots. Um, I think Jalen Withers has a chance to change the narrative. And I think Paxson Wojcik, I think – Maybe we just put a lot of stock in what he did at the Ivy League level. Mm-hmm. But also, I think from a locker room standpoint, he was a good addition because he's a he's a positive guy. He's an energy guy that, you know, is, is maybe to this team what some, you know, what other reserves were to other teams where it's just like he's the example because he, he knows what it means to put on the uniform, walk out of the tunnel, and, and play on that floor. The last uh, the last award we'll give out before we get out of here is the sixth man. Um, and I went with Jalen Washington just because I feel like his production could outweigh Trimble's production over the, you know, over what we saw in the first couple games in the non-conference season. Like, we was Seth Tremble going for 17 points and seven rebounds in 16 minutes. And, you know, your sixth man is a guy that, you know, typically, A, is, yeah, your first guy off the bench, but it's it's a guy that's going to put the ball in the basket. And we've seen Seth Tremble's offensive game grow, but I don't think it's to the level where, like, Jalen Washington could score in a lot of different ways from the perimeter, from the mid-range, from with his back to the basket – and getting to the foul line. Um, and, you know, really intrigued by seeing him and Armando Baycott on the court together a whole lot moving forward. Um, I, I think it's very intriguing and could be a lot of fun. But, you know, I, you look at some of the big games that he had and some of the moments that he had in the non-conference portion of the season, he was my sixth man of uh, from, from the first 11 games. Yeah, I got to give it tremble here. Uh, I, I mean, again, you, you talk about the first guy off the bench. Um, I think the other thing that you have to take into account with Trimble is is what he brings defensively. And it's not to say that Jalen Washington isn't a good defender. I mean, there's definitely guys that have taken advantage of him, some of the more physical guys inside on that end of the floor. But Seth Trimble, I mean, the fact that the offensive game has come as far as it has – I think allows you to give him this award with a lot of confidence. And I don't think that's something that's going to disappear from this team because he's a guy that, you know, it feels like has settled in. It's not a, a someone that, you know, one game scores 15, the next game he's non-existent, doesn't score. He's become a consistent contributor on the offensive end of the floor each and every game. 
And it's because he's become more comfortable. It's you know because he's a, a guy that realizes that the way that he gets himself going on the offensive end is to be aggressive driving the basket. And I, I think with that and, you know, w- with the fact that Carolina is going to use him as much as they are. I mean, Jalen Washington is a guy that there will probably be games in conference play where they will use him and probably only play him about eight, nine minutes. Seth Trimble is going to play double-digit minutes every single game in conference play. So I think because of that, I'll go with Seth Trimble here. But, yeah, I mean, Jalen Washington, like you can't downplay what he is going to mean for this team in conference play, especially if they start using more of the lineup that I talked about earlier. Well, there you go. We did not go four for four. And maybe some of mine with J-Dub is projecting forward in the conference play because I do think what he did against Charleston Southern, you know, he's not going to do that every night. But I do think this could be a dude that averages six points, five rebounds off the bench which would be pretty pretty big time production considering what we've seen the first couple of years uh, off the bench under Huber Davis. Well, with that, guys, that's going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. Before we let you go, uh, we do encourage you guys to visit the website thetealtuffblog.com uh, for the latest Carolina basketball coverage. We get you ready for. Um, the start of ACC play with the game at Pittsburgh. Go back and check out the, the recap from the Charleston Southern game um, if you want to as well. Tar Heel football season is over, um, but the news is probably just getting started with, with staff news uh, still to come, uh, more transfer portal news you would imagine, NFL draft, all that coverage, football and basketball at sealtoughblog.com. Ask for the podcast, guys. You know where to find us, every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any of the next 300 editions of the podcast. But with that, guys, this is going to rack up. This is going to wrap up this edition of the show. We want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. Happy New Year. And as always... Go Tar Heels.